0: World-class guests, fascinating stories, inspiring messages. Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about relationship challenges and personal growth. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Elizabeth Polinsky. Liz is a military marriage counselor in Norfolk, Virginia, and the host of Communicate and Connect podcast for military relationships. She is also currently working on a PhD in marriage and family therapy, with a specialization in couple therapy. You can reach Liz at her website, CommunicateAndConnectPodcast.com, where she offers a free relationship email course, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Liz. I'm so glad that you could join with me today.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am so grateful to have you here. The things that you talk about, the things that you have studied and prepared and learned so that you can help other people are so so important They're, they they matter they matter to individuals, they matter to families, they matter to societies and I thank you for all the time and effort that you are putting into preparing yourself to be able to help in this important thing so I would love to talk first just kind of generally about marriage and then to go into some of the specific challenges that come in a military relationship so what, what do you think is, is just a major problem? Why is marriage so hard? What, what, what is it that just makes marriages fall apart?
1: Yeah, so I think that, um, it, to put it in the shortest way possible, when we go into marriage, we end up um, triggering each other's worst fears, and it's unintentional. People don't mean to do this. They're just interacting, and it actually has to do with how important the person is to us it's only because we love them so much, they're such an important person, that they trigger my worst fears. And usually those fears are around, uh, am I accepted? Um, Am I good enough? Am I, is somebody going to leave me? Am I going to be abandoned? Or um, am I a failure? Sort of things around this area is oftentimes what gets uh, triggered. And then those are really difficult emotions to deal with, and people are often just in society not taught how to deal with that or how to even communicate about that, and then communicate it with the person who I love the most, who is the source of my greatest safety, but also my greatest fear, because they're the ones that I'm scared might leave me, or they're the ones that I'm scared might think that I'm not good enough. And so it becomes extra hard to talk about that in a marriage. And couples who can successfully do that, they're the ones that tend to do really well. Um, and when I, when there's a challenge with doing that, they may end up leaving the marriage or going outside of the marriage, just because that's seems easier than having to really work through the pain of all of this.
0: That is so incredibly insightful. So I've studied a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy and the, um, what they suggest is that when we get down to the root of the problem of almost any challenge that we have, any mental or emotional issue, it comes down to, am I lovable? Am I acceptable? And that's what, you know, Brene Brown and all of her research said, you know, when it comes down to it is, do I feel worthy of love and belonging? And when we're in a marriage relationship, we are the most vulnerable. We are closer and connected to one person than any other and to recognize that this is where we have this great need and we have this great fear and it triggers those things where if we feel like i'm not lovable then my partner can't love me and it doesn't even matter what they do we don't feel that love and that's a huge challenge that it really starts with ourselves And that's, that's a hard thing because usually when we're in a situation, it's no, 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 I'm fine, but this person is not meeting my needs or this person is doing X, Y, Z. And it's, it's, it's really hard. So what, what kinds of things can we do to help feel at peace and to be able to maybe work on that communication? And I think you, what you just said and just bringing it to our awareness is huge. It's a huge step. It's like, oh, that's why. I'm scared because I really care about you and I really care what you think and I really care how you respond and and I care if you like me because you know me pretty well. And that's scary to let someone know you pretty well.
1: Yes, and then I think that's the key is to let them know me really well, which is the hardest thing to do. And this is why I think relationships really are about personal growth. So sometimes in in therapy with my clients, I'll talk to them about how, uh, like, maybe they've done lots of individual therapy, they've grown as a person, lots of personal development. But then in relationships, it's like the final battle, maybe for my self worth, and for my acceptance of my partner, uh, and for my own mental health and well being. Because of this, what what we're talking about, because this is where um, the fear really comes alive, because you know me so well, you person that I love who's my partner, you know me more than anyone else. And so do you accept me or not? You know, with a stranger, um, I can give them like a facade, just a face, a mask, a version of myself. And couples do this a lot too, because they're afraid of really being seen Um, but unless I let myself really be seen by my partner, I'll never have the chance at feeling accepted and, and feeling valued and loved. Um, so the fear stays, but I also can't really have true intimacy until we're both kind of mask free, you know, with that vulnerability and letting ourselves be seen.
0: That is Um, so incredible. I think a lot of times... Uh, we have a feeling of um, if we sh- if we're struggling with our our self worth and our confidence to think I-, I I have my mask and and maybe you like me may- maybe you think you like me but if you knew the real me what's really mm-hmm. inside then you wouldn't like me and you would reject me and and in a marriage relationship where you're together a lot it's exhausting to try to maintain that facade. 24/7 I- impossible even and that's so scary when you think if you knew the real me what's really in here my my weaknesses cuz i have them cuz we all do then you'll reject me how do we how do we start that conversation how do we even broach this subject because i mean that's scary territory
1: it is very scary territory um yeah i usually tell people, like, let's go from the shallow end of the emotional pool towards the deep end. We don't have to jump into the deep end. Oh, right thank
0: away. you. Okay, so what's shallow? Where can we Where's some shallow yeah. water where I can?
1: Um, shallow might be saying, like, um, I do get angry and critical when I feel like you don't care. That maybe is more on a, a shallow type of end versus just now in this conversation. Um, I felt like I wasn't good enough and that maybe you would never accept me like that would be a really deepened type of statement to have. And so so I think what you said, actually, uh, a few moments ago, maybe the first step is even just bringing it into awareness, because you're right, couples do do start off, and and it's because it's so painful. Deep down at the core, it is really a a very scary, painful thing to think I'm not going to be loved or accepted, and so it's so much easier emotionally to say, no, the problem's not with me. You must be the problem. <laughs> um, Definitely. Yeah. So the first the first step, I think, always, maybe for any type of personal development or any therapy or anything really is just increasing my emotional awareness and what is going on inside of me, trying to shift the focus from... What is my partner doing wrong or what are they not doing enough of to, okay, regardless of what they're doing, what is it bringing up inside of me that is challenging to work with?
0: I think that's a beautiful place to start. And I think a lot of times as we're coming into a situation, these kinds of deep introspection, we don't have the answers. It's like, when you do this, I feel this way. Why? I have no idea. I have no idea why. I, I just know that when this happens, I get this response. And so, to be able to do that personal development and say, "Okay, why? Why do I have this response? Where is this coming from?" I think that life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. Sometimes we have to look back and find out, "Okay, where is the source of this? This is, this is triggering me, and I don't know why." Um, and sometimes that's scary cuz maybe it came from something bad that i don't want to remember i tried to forget it because i didn't want to think about it when it was happening so th- this is this is deep stuff but i do agree that it really starts with us sometimes we hope we hope that there's um the pieces that are missing in us that someone else is magically going to fill and then everything is going to magically resolve and unfortunately we really find ourselves disappointed when that is the expectation because it, it doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, I think that is, especially in the first few years of marriage, like that's what people are kind of learning. So kids are a whole nother thing. Like when people first have children, that has its own stressors and challenges for couples. But let's say they wait a couple years to have kids a lot of the challenges in early marriage are about what you just said. I had this dream that you were going to make me feel a certain way that we were going to have this certain type of life, that I would, I would finally feel completely loved and accepted and I wouldn't have to be longing for this anymore, but I still do long for it. I still do want to know that I'm accepted and loved and as, and I get scared that maybe you don't feel that way. Um, that's a lot of what, I think people are navigating, especially in those early years, is it, you know, it doesn't quite fit what I had in my mind. (laughs) Definitely.
0: I would say unmet expectations. And sometimes we have to take a look at what our expectations are. And was that a realistic expectation? Because unmet expectations really hurt.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one that I don't even know how many people are aware that they have an expectation like that.
0: Right, because it's so obvious that everyone would know that.
1: Right. You know,
0: it's like, why don't you get that this is what I want? Because it's so obvious. When it isn't obvious, (laughs) it really isn't. And we can't expect our partner to be a mind reader. And that's really frustrating. Sometimes we think, well, I don't know what's wrong with me, but you should, you know, (laughs) which is really a high expectation. And that's probably not going to happen.
1: To add to that, I would say, um, there seems to be associations. So uh, maybe it's like, I don't know, you making breakfast on Saturday morning, like, (laughs) that would make me feel really loved. (laughs) I'll just keep throwing out an example here. But um, then if they don't make breakfast, it's not that they don't love you, but then something like that might trigger Those fears, those deep fears that I have about being lovable, and and even though my partner does love me, they didn't do what in my mind thought was the proof for love.
0: That is a huge issue. Let's talk about making breakfast on Saturday morning for a few more minutes. Then, so if I wanted my husband to make me breakfast on Saturday morning because that would make me feel loved, I would have a much greater chance of that happening if I asked him to do it and said, Hey, I, it would make me feel so loved if you would make me breakfast on Saturday morning. Um, it might happen or it's possible that it still doesn't happen, but I think the chance is going to be much greater than if I just hoped for it, wished for it and said, if you loved me, then you would know that you should make me breakfast on Saturday morning because obviously that is what a good husband does. Um, so I, I, I would recommend, and I, I, I maybe you're on board that if you do want something, then having that communication and asking for it. And I think also the way we ask is really important. So if it's I I would love it. It would make me feel so happy and so loved versus how come you never da 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 and da you know that yeah. is, is all of a sudden chills up. Not doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Criticism which is what I would consider that second type of response, why didn't you do this, don't you care about me type of thing, um, is actually one of, the f- one of the four communication patterns that predict divorce later mm. down the road. And so um, it's really important that, and it requires vulnerability, if we went back to vulnerability, to even say, I, this is something that would make me feel really loved. I have to take off the mask to say something like that, or to even say, you know, you, you didn't make breakfast. You went out and played golf or you did your own thing, you know, instead, and that really hurt. It made me feel this way. Like it, it, it all kind of circles back around to, I have to let myself be seen. In order to even make a request like that, but you're right, it does, like, I have to, I have to talk about me, instead of talking about you. You didn't do this, versus mm-hmm. I would feel really loved if you could do this for me.
0: That's a lot less threatening to make it that way. You said there are four, four predictors. What are the others? So criticism and...
1: yeah. This comes from uh, John Gottman, his research at the Gottman Institute. So there's criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Um, they kind of go in in patterns, right? So if I'm critical, it there's a push-pull. Like um, one thing leads to another. If I'm critical, it kind of naturally leads to defensiveness. And if someone else is defensive, then it might naturally lead to me being defensive or critical. Um, and then when when you go on like that for a little while eventually somebody starts stonewalling or shutting down because it's the only way to cope with sort of this negative pattern of critical defensiveness that keeps going on and then after that's gone on for a while contempt tends to develop and that it that's the strongest predictor of divorce is once contempt is there um, you know I don't I don't have probably really any trust that my partner cares about me. Um, it's just things at that point tend to be very, um, very hard to come back from. They take a lot of work.
0: So can we, can we come back? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We can come back. And, um, it sometimes is a long road. I would say the more pain there is, the longer it, it takes, but we absolutely can come back. Um, so one of the things that John Bowlby talked about, he is kind of like the founder of attachment theory. And when we think about relationships, we think about a marriage being an attachment bond. And so I have to, the bond is, is fluid and it's dynamic and it can change over time. And so I can, I can re- relearn and re-earn security, maybe. Um, I can create a new dynamic with my partner. Uh, but again, it, it will require taking off the mask, talking about my vulnerable feelings and working through the, both, both people's vulnerable feelings to get to that place of feeling secure again. Um,
0: so even if I'm in a place where I'm in a miserable marriage... And I feel utter contempt for my spouse. There is a possibility that with some work and effort, we can fix it to a place where I am happy and I feel safe and I feel loved. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, As As long as both people want to make that happen.
0: Right. Okay. So let's talk about it, what what can we do if our partner is not interested in counseling? What what can we do to make the marriage better? I think sometimes we think, well, if, if he won't do or she won't do counseling, couples counseling with me, then there's no hope and it's over. So is there something that we can do in the meantime, maybe before they're ready?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I'll go back to the idea of... Um, sort of a push pull, like if we if we had a rope between us, and I'm pulling on it, you'll move, you know, unless you're stronger, (laughs) stronger than me. Um, And if you pull, I'll move, right, we go back and forth. Or maybe a seesaw is a better example, but when one person changes, it impacts the other person. And so just me focusing on me being more vulnerable, um, me Uh, focusing on getting more awareness into why I interact in my marriage the way that I do, Um, taking off my mask, it is an invitation for them to do the same. Uh, And they, even if they don't, even if for whatever reason they can't take off their mask, they will likely be responding to me differently because I have changed how I'm interacting with them.
0: Okay. And that sounds so scary when you talk about, here I am, I'm in a situation where I'm feeling unsafe and and I need to be vulnerable. So I might maybe even tweak that just a little bit and and say, as we're working on our personal development, perhaps the first person I can be vulnerable to is myself and say, "Let let me become aware of what's going on in my head and figure myself out before I'm ready to share this with my partner. Let me put myself in a good place, at least a, a better place than I was yesterday. And then start from there. I, I'd, I would not feel comfortable as a first step just saying, Wah, here I am.
1: Great. And that's probably not a wise thing to do either, because uh, maybe again, like go shallow then, then to the deep end. I have to first feel safe enough.
0: Yeah, give me the kiddie pool, like that two-inch yeah. little splash pool thing, for a minute here, till I'm, until I feel safe.
1: Exactly. I can't go deeper. My mm-hmm. my body actually won't let me do that, um, because I don't feel safe. I have to have safety first before I can be more vulnerable. Vulnerability can really only come with. With, well, I guess you know the self-awareness part, but then with safety, I have to, I have to be able to create safety first in the relationship before I can go into the deep end and really remove all of the masks and things like that.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. So you're talking about the that your body won't let you. That reminds me, I'm, I'm currently reading a book. And it's called um, "The Body Keeps the Score" by Dr. Mm-hmm. Van Der Kolk. and it's fascinating to me because you're military that he starts. With his, he started his practice and starting when you know Vietnam vets were coming back, and they were having all of these issues, and no one knew what was wrong with them. They thought, "Man, all of these people are psychotic." And um, that was kind of the only diagnosis they had that the term PTSD" didn't exist back then. They didn't realize that there was any connection whatsoever, and they didn't really understand anything about you know a, a sexual trauma, trauma. They, they didn't understand that there was a response in the body to trauma. And so I I read that you specifically trained in in working with things like PTSD and sexual trauma and these kinds of things. And first of all, I am so grateful on so many levels. I am grateful that we've come so far that we don't just say, oh, you guys are just all crazy. It's, oh, you have gone through hard things and it has affected you to the core, your body, your mind, your spirit. So now that we have a a better knowledge base, I appreciate that you have been studying that so that you can apply that knowledge and help people. Because I don't think it's helpful when someone's gone through something horrible to then label them as, well, you're just, you're you're just crazy. or nothing we can do for you. So what, 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 what kinds of things, extra things can you do to help someone who's been through any of those kind of traumatic situations?
1: Yeah. So you're right. We have come a really long way, and PTSD um, is actually treatable. So something I like to use this analogy. Yeah, it is really exciting. <laughs> it is really exciting. Um, I like to use this analogy sometimes of like a medical medical thing. If I get a cold, you know, I'm sick for a little while, and then I won't be sick anymore. Some things last longer than others and some things are are more lifelong like diabetes maybe is something that has to be managed the rest of your life. PTSD is not that way. PTSD can be treated and you can have a life without PTSD symptoms not that the trauma doesn't hurt or isn't impacting you but you do not have to live with PTSD that is completely treatable today because we've come so far. Um, and actually couples therapy is, is really a great type of therapy for PTSD because one of the, I guess maybe one of the side effects of PTSD is that it really pulls me away from my relationships. It, um, it does impact my sense of self-worth. There tends to be a lot of guilt around the trauma feeling, feelings about, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? And my marriage relationship actually can be a really big resource for healing, in healing the trauma and what happened and how that impacted my view of myself, as well as how I view the world. And do I view the world as safe or not? My partner can be a place of safety for me. And so... Yeah, there are definitely very good and strong and probably the gold standard treatments are individual counseling for PTSD. Um, that would include uh, cognitive processing therapy for PTSD, which I do. And then there's prolonged exposure um, and EMDR. Those are kind of the top three uh, that are well-researched right now. And um, But there are some couple therapies that are specifically designed for working with couples where one or both have experienced traumatic events and are dealing with the after effects of that. Um, so I think I got a little off track, but,
0: um, No, I didn't. I I didn't. I thought that was, that was a great answer for, um, so those are some of the treatments that are available. I think it, to me, one of the most exciting things you said is this is treatable. This is absolutely treatable. I think having hope is so important because when you're feeling like i am miserable there is something deeply deeply wrong and when someone says someone else has been there and we know how to help you and we can get you out then it feels like like your your example of the cold it's like i have a cold i don't have cancer this isn't going to kill me yeah. this is something that i can get through and i can be healthy again and i can be okay and and it i don't i don't think you can go through a traumatic experience without it changing you but from all the things that I've researched as we try to take the uh, the uh, the emotion and the experience and take that emotion and remove it, it doesn't mean you're going to forget the experience, but it won't bring up all of that trauma and all of those negative feelings. It will just be, yes, this happened. And then in a way that actually helps strengthen you so that you can help the next person on that path of life and say, oh, yes, I understand because I've been through that. And, and you can be okay. So it can, we can, as we go through that healing process, I think it can help us. Well, obviously it can help us, but then in addition, if we choose to, we can also use that. It, it, um, qualifies us to help the next person down the road.
1: Yeah. A lot of that's something called, um, post-traumatic growth. Mm. A lot of people find that, um, as, as part of their own healing and as they heal, they, They experience personal growth and that leads naturally to them being able to help other people, which adds another layer of their own healing and their own growth process to then help other people who've experienced the same
0: things. Right. It almost gives a little bit of purpose to our pain Mm -hmm. where it doesn't just feel like this pain was for no reason. I mean, that doesn't mean it was good, but there can still be something good that can come out of it. And that's, I think, very empowering.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I really agree. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. Um, there are a lot of people who experience traumatic events who maybe don't have PTSD. It can a, tra- a traumatic event can impact somebody in a in a number of ways. And there are so many types of traumatic events that people can experience in their life, from from abuse to car crashes um uh to plane plane related uh incidents mm-hmm. just so many so many types of traumas that don't always necessarily lead to PTSD but where again the the relationship could be a way of healing of of bringing safety back and healing how i think about myself and how I view other people and my safety in the world, but the first step is that self-awareness piece of my own emotions and sitting with my own emotions and how what's happening around me is bringing up things on, on the inside.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think having a safe place is beautiful and I wish every person could have a safe place to go and how lovely it would be if it was in your marriage. I mean, that's beautiful. But again, I think the first step is working on ourselves and not expecting our our companion to make up that difference and solve our problems because they can't. They can be our cheerleader, but we're the ones on the playing field and there's no other yeah. way. There's no other way.
1: Yeah. I really like that analogy.
0: So thank you for visiting with me today. Thank you for all the things that you've shared, the wisdom and insight. My wheels are turning. And I am feeling hopeful and grateful and excited.
1: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. It has been a pleasure. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by the ancient Greek philosopher Epictetus. He said, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. Today, I invite you to improve your communication by listening to what is being said and also to pay attention to what is not being said. See you next time on Linda's Corner.